All right. Good morning, guys. <laughs> Hello. Well, it's a quiet bunch. Everybody doing okay? All right. Cool. Good. Good. Um, my name is Jeff. I'm the high school pastor here at Midtown, and uh, I'm glad to be up here with you. I'm glad to be in here with you, and I'm glad that we get to open the Word together. Um, if you would, go ahead and turn in Ephesians to chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. The, um, the high school group, we've been um, working our way through a, a series in Ephesians, and we are up to this point. So we've covered 14 verses, and now... We're going to cover 15 to 19. Um, I was telling the group, uh, the last service, I was telling them, that, like, I'm kind of nervous. And so, like, my armpits are really sweaty. Um, but it's because, like, I know you guys are my family, and I know there's only love out here. And, uh, you know, like, I teach a, a good chunk of you every week anyways, but it's like I have you know, my first car, you know, it was a 1990 Toyota Corolla, white uh, exterior, got the blue cloth seats. It was, um, it was kind of janky. I mean, it was old even when I, I drove it, but I, I felt comfortable in it. It was good, you know, didn't have airbags, but you don't need those. I was good, right? Uh, but, but dad said, hey, you can take my car. And so that's what this is. I'm like, whoa, like, okay, you know, but just... It's a little intense. So um, anyways, that doesn't matter. We should pray, huh? Okay, let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 19, and then, and then we'll pray. So this is what we're going to study out here. Verse 15, Paul writes, he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So, Father, this morning, um, God, even, you know, even more than I would respect the privilege of driving my parents' car, <laughs> you know, and even more than I respect the privilege of getting to, uh, to preach your word from this pulpit, uh, God, what we want to do is uh, we want to hear from you. God, even more than, you know, we, we um, you know, even more than the other things that we've got going on in our mind or in our hearts, the distractions, the, the cares of this world, the things that are going on right now, God, even more than we want to give any attention and, and any space to those things, God, we, we need to meet with you and we just confess that and recognize that. And so, God, I, I ask that you would get me out of the way, but God, that you would get all of us out of the way from hearing from you, meeting with you right now in your word. Your word is open, 
And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to have our hearts open and and just ready, ready to receive what encouragement, what correction, whatever we need this morning. God, help us to to receive that. We believe that that's a work that your spirit does. And and we just tell you we're needy. We need you right now. And we ask for your help, for your grace, for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at five phrases from Ephesians chapter 1 uh, through these, these uh, verses 15 to, to, through 18, 19. We're going, to, we're going to look at five verses. And the first, uh, or we're going to look at five phrases, sorry. The first phrase from, uh, from these verses is the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So that's in verse 17, and we're looking at what is this thing that Paul is asking for the church? He's asking for spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that God would give that to the Ephesians. And so looking at it, um, there's three components. You've got the spirit of wisdom, you've got got revelation, and you've got in the knowledge of him. So, So breaking those down, the first, spirit of wisdom, this thing that God uh, has to give to the Ephesians that Paul is asking for for them is a phrase that you can look up in your Bible, spirit of wisdom, and shows up four times. Shows up four times. Uh, this instance here in Ephesians, it shows up in uh, Exodus 28, verse 3, uh, with the, the men who were to put together Aaron's uh, garb, right? It shows up in Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, speaking of Joshua. And then Isaiah 11, verse 2, speaking of Jesus, right? And so what it is, is the spirit of wisdom is is wisdom that God gives people that allows that person to know how to accomplish the will of God in his life, right? The spirit of wisdom is something God gives you so that you know, okay, I I know what the work is in front of me and I know how to to get it done, right? The second chunk of this phrase is is revelation. He says that, uh, he's asking that God would give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now revelation, what what we're praying for this morning is more than just uh, a study and analysis of God. What he was praying for the people and what we're praying this morning for each other is that we wouldn't just learn about God, but that God would be in here with us and we would have revelation from him, that we would meet with him, right? There's some profit, there's some profitability of just learning about God, right? That would be good. That would be okay. But there's so much more for us. Right? And we need that spirit of wisdom. We need revelation. And Paul describes that um, it happens in the knowledge of him. So that experience, that interaction, that revelation, that wisdom from God, the spirit of wisdom, it's going to happen through time in the scriptures. Okay, so here's, here's one of five important prayers. The first important prayer is for this morning, for us to discern the work God has for us and his presence in it. We need to pray and ask God for what is the work that God has for us. And we need to, we need his presence in it. We need to see and acknowledge his presence in it. So I have two questions. They're not trick questions. 
I just want you to, to raise your hand if you would say, raise your hand if you, if you know what work or role God has called you to in life. You could say, I'm pretty confident that I know God has called me to this. And you should raise your hand. There's several of you who, I know you know this, like just put your hand up, that's good. But there's others who don't have their hand up. So keep your hand up really quick and I want everybody to look around. So if you aren't able to raise your hand, you don't know what work God has for you right now in this place, then look around, you can know. People know so you can know, right? You're in good company. And I would, uh, I would encourage you to consider coming down at the end of the service and meeting with us to plug in, to pray through, uh, discovering what, what is my role in the kingdom. What's my role in the kingdom of God? We want to pray through that with you. We want to counsel through that with you because we believe that you can know what work God has for you. Second question is, who would say that they can clearly sense God's presence with them in life, whether it's through hardship or whether it's through good things? How many of you would say, I, I know God's presence with me in life? Okay, again, look around. There's people who are like, I don't know, maybe kind of. And then there's people with their hands up. They know God's presence. And so again, you're in good company. We want to meet with you, counsel with you, work through these things. But as we get to that place where you might respond, there's two keys, there's two, two critical things to sensing God's role for you on planet Earth and then sensing God's presence in your life. The two things are, number one, salvation. Your salvation is critical for knowing what your role, your purpose on Earth is. It's also, it's also absolutely critical for you knowing God's presence in your life, salvation. And then number two, it's faith in God's promises, faith in what God says is true. Does that make sense? You with me so far? Is everybody awake? Cool. Dale's awake. There's a few of you. All right, all right. Second service is tough. I tell you what, man, when we did two services in youth up in the balcony, it was always really hard for me because the first service, I felt like, man, I, I preached what God gave to me, and then the second service, I just felt way too comfortable. I mean, I was like talking about other stuff that I don't have on my notes, just like I'm doing right now. So <laughs> stay the track, stay the course. So here's what you need to know. In terms of salvation, Jesus did all of the work necessary for you to have God's presence with you wherever you go. Jesus did all of the work by dying on the cross. He gave his life for our sins, for your sins. God gave his life. He gave it up. He made a way for your salvation, for my salvation, from sin and hell. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 describes this response to that. It says, in whom ye also trusted. Speaking of Jesus, you trust in Jesus, that he's your Lord and Savior, right? After that ye heard the word of truth. The word of truth is that God loves you and he died for you and he paid the penalty of your sin. He gave his life for yours. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, so you believe on Jesus, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest 
of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. You, you believe on Jesus for your salvation. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. I can't have your presence in my life because I have sin in my life and I need to surrender to you and to your lordship and I need to accept the gift you gave in paying for that sin and coming into my heart. And when you believe on him for that, then his spirit comes in and it seals you up and his presence is with you and you can't get rid of it. You can ignore him You can quench the spirit. You can grieve him, but you can't get rid of him. Okay, but you get saved, and then you have to cling to that promise that he's with you. You have to trust in it. At that moment, his spirit comes in, and we need to trust in this promise that once we have his love and presence, we can't be separated from it. You can't lose your salvation. You can't mess it up. So stop feeling so bad about yourself and just believe that God is with you. And then get to work. Right? Now you have his spirit in you. You know that he's with you. And now he has a role. He has a work for you. He has a job. You have a place in the kingdom of God, the kingdom work that we have at hand. And we see it in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. We call this the Great Commission. And it has both of these things. It has your work, and it also has this promise that he's with you. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we need as a group is that the work of God, the work of God is to invest the word of God into the souls of men, right? And his promise is that he, he has given us his presence in that work, in that mission, in this life that he left us here for. Now, in terms of your personal spirit of wisdom and revelation, like in terms of your specific role in the kingdom work, right? In terms of, in terms of you acknowledging, oh, his presence is with me. That's going to happen through that third, uh, that third chunk of this phrase. It's going to happen in the knowledge of him. Meaning, if we want to know God's purpose for us, if we want fellowship with God in our lives, this will happen in his word. So it's going to happen when the word is preached. It's going to happen when you wake up in the morning and you have a space, time set aside to meet with God called your quiet time. And in that quiet time where you're just opening your heart, you're opening his word, and you're just letting him lead you, correct you, encourage you, comfort you, as you do that, he is going to, he's going to reveal to you himself and also your role, what he wants you to do, how he wants you to be. Does that make sense? So the application is we need to trust God to meet us in our quiet time. Trust God to meet you in your quiet time. And I can tell you this, that's like the hardest thing in the world, right? It's so hard. It's so hard 
to, to set aside that time, to sanctify it and to protect it. It's really hard work. I'm not afraid of hard work. I like to work hard. It feels good to work hard, right? Don't you? It feels good to work hard. But it's really hard to just be quiet and still with the Lord because there's so many good things that try to steal that time from us and interrupt that time. For instance, my daughter, right? Now, I love it every time when I get up and I, and I go into the living room and I open my Bible and I'm going to have quiet time. There's part of me that really loves when Josie comes in. She's just got her panties on because she doesn't wear pajamas. She's four, by the way. And she comes in and she's got the foggy eyes and, and then she waits for me to acknowledge her and then she comes over and she curls up next to me and she wants to be under my arm, right? And she wants the blanket on her and we want to just like snuggle up. There's, there's not many things better than that, right? That's amazing. But my quiet time all of a sudden is, I mean, I can still read my Bible. God is gracious. Like he can still get me what I need. But I think what that tells me is maybe I need to get up earlier or be sneakier as I, as I get into the living room, right? We've got to work hard to have this quiet time. We've got to trust God to meet us there, to reveal to us our role and to reveal to us his presence is with us, to remind us of that, right? So Paul continues the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 here in verse 18, and he's praying that the Ephesians would have their eyes, the eyes of, uh, he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, And so after meeting with God in faith, we're drawing nigh unto God and he's drawing nigh unto us in our quiet time. What happens is we begin to have the eyes of our understanding enlightened. In other words, you begin to see things the way God sees them. You understand them for what they are. You begin to have his perspective on all things. So the important prayer number two, the second thing we ought to be praying for one another is to have God's perspective in every situation. To have God's perspective in every situation. The world is full of chaos and full of information. And the news is saying this thing, and then this news source is combating this, and then there's just this, there's an information war. There's a war. It's a battle. And do you know what it's for? It's to capture your mind. The schools. I work at a public school. I love my job. I'm very thankful for my job. But we, we teach to form people's minds. That's my job. Now, hopefully I'm not forming students' minds like to think unbiblically but I definitely know people who are. I went to university and there were classes I took that that they were teaching me things and they were having me read different books and we were having discussions and they were were, uh, shepherding us to think in a very specific way and they they were trying to capture our hearts and our minds to count for a cause in this world that is not the gospel. They wanted me to give my passion in my life to a very specific cause at UMKC. There's a war for our minds. And so I have a question. Have you been able to see a really hard situation? So we're looking at the way that you view situations, you view different things in life. 
How many of you would say, I've been in a really hard situation, but I've been able to see it from God's perspective, and I, and I had joy and I had peace that didn't really make sense? How many of you have experienced that? And so look around, especially if your hand isn't up, you're in good company, right? Again, when the service is over, we want to meet and pray with you. Because we believe that you can go through a hard experience and see it for what it is within God's will. And there's peace and joy that comes from that. So I have a personal example. I'm a teacher, and um, I last year was put on a PIP. Does anybody know what a PIP is? They're terrible. It's a, it's a uh, performance improvement plan. And what it meant was there was an area in my job that I was not doing something well. Not, I wasn't doing something not very well. I wasn't doing it well, right? And my, my boss came to me and he said, we're going to put you on this PIP. And initially I was kind of shocked. I was like, okay, wow, like, whoa, you know, just kind of taking it in. And then I told uh, my coworkers, and I then had uh, a very specific set of information put in my head. I had coworkers telling me, that means they want to fire you. You're gone, bro. And I was like, whoa, okay. And they were telling me, that's not fair. They shouldn't have done that. That's wrong that they did that. And so all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, I'm going to get fired. And that's not right. I shouldn't be on a pip. This isn't right. I'm against these people. I'm against this process. And I even in a meeting, I said, listen, I'm going to submit to you because you're my boss, but I don't think I should have this. And they, and they were like, okay, cool. Like, great. I was on the pip, no matter what. So I left that, and, and, and I felt frustrated about it. And, and so then I begin the PIP process, which is basically they meet with me regularly. They have me do some journaling. I'm journaling about my teaching practices. I have some specific things they want me to do and they want to see in my classroom. And I begin performing that. I'm following the process. And at first, it was kind of begrudgingly. I was upset about it. But then, then as I kept meeting with my administrator, my boss, she was actually very encouraging. And we would have explicit conversations. And I would ask her, like, am I on the way out? Like, what is this? She's like, no. We believe you can be a really good teacher. You're just, <laughs> you just kind of suck at this area. But we'll get there. And she was very uplifting and encouraging. And, and as that process began to get to, to an end, what I could do was, as I was just putting my heart in the word and the word in my heart, I then was looking at the situation. And all of a sudden, it wasn't unfair. They weren't trying to get rid of me. God was intentionally allowing me to go through that because I needed to be humbled. I needed to be humbled. I thought I was all good. Get that pip away from me. I needed a pip. Don't we all need a pip? Right? I needed humbled. I needed to be grown in my job, I needed to be solidified. God used that. Here's a more dire example of being able to see things from God's perspective. Being on a pip, not really that bad, actually, right? But Psalm 116, verses 1 through 6, the psalmist says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. And here's what he says. This is how he describes his situation. He says, the sorrows of death compassed me. And the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. 
That's worse than a pip, right? Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Now it's interesting, he, he doesn't say deliver my body from this circumstance. He says deliver my soul. Deliver my perspective. Deliver my mind. Deliver my thought process. And then he comes up with this conclusion. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. The psalmist could see that his situation was bad. He found sorrow and trouble. And some of you, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe that's where you're at. Things just are really bad right now. But God, but God is looking at that situation and he has a specific perspective. But you can only see that perspective. We can only access God's perspective when we filter everything that happens to us through the mind of Christ, right? When, when any situation happens, if we will filter, if we will, if we will look at it in light of what the Word of God says, all of a sudden we see what God thinks about the situation, right? All of a sudden we see people and systems and our job and our ministry and our children and our hardships and all the different things. We see it how God sees it, and there's joy and peace there. And so the application is, when you, when you arrive at your quiet time and you've trusted that God will meet you there and you're, you're opening yourself and, the, and you're here to meet with the Lord, let's, let's let God transform the way we think and perceive things. Not the world. Not the media. Right? In verse 18... Uh, He continues praying uh, for the hope of his calling, uh, that we might know what the hope of his calling is. And so, um, in other words, right, in other words, there's hope in a calling that we've been given. And uh, there's a cliche, as you see, that, that says the best is yet to come. And it's easy for us to say that at the, you know, the beginning of 2021, because 2020 was just terrible, right? We can say the best is yet to come. But we, we don't say that just because it can't get any worse, right? We can say that there is hope in this calling that God has given us. There is hope. We do know what is yet to come, right? You know what is yet to come. God has met you in your quiet time. He's revealed your role in the work. He saved you. You know he's with you. Right? He's transforming the way that you think. And, and now as you, as you interact with Scripture, as you get through discipleship, as you're, as you're meeting with the Lord, you know what's yet to come. What is it, church? The rapture. You know what is yet to come, and you know that even now you have everlasting life. Right? We have an eternity of glory with Him. So what are the daily hardships in light of that? What are the daily hardships in light of, man, for eternity, I'm going to be with the Lord. That's going to be a good time. I'm excited for that. I'm not excited for a new year, for 2021, because it's going to be so much better than 2020. No, it's not. 
It's only going to get worse, guys. It's only going to get worse. But then it's going to get amazing. Because we're not going to be here anymore. John 3.36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. You have everlasting life if you've believed on the Son. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 14, 1 through 3, here's a great promise. This is what's yet to come. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me, and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And that's, that's pretty good right there. That's pretty sweet. Like my house, I love my house, but like the foundation is falling apart. I mean, I'm getting water in the basement. It's old. I could use a mansion about now, right? But here's the good part. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there ye may be also. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, things are tough. You want this person to get saved, and, and this person's making fun of you because of it, right? You want, you're, trying to, you're, trying to, you're trying to witness to this family member, and they just keep rejecting it. Life is just hard in general for whatever reason. And your out, outward man, it, it's perishing. It's just we're all getting older, right? Yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What are we looking at? Are you looking at here and now? Or are you looking at that hope of his calling? Consider this. Sorrow and grief, trial and trouble, they all, they naturally put our eyes on ourselves and our situations, right? You go through a hard time, you naturally, you're like, ah, oh, man, this, this is terrible, okay? And then depression and anxiety, they keep your eyes there. As I was driving in this morning, I was, uh, I was just driving along and I was like, oh, my stomach feels awful. And I was like, what is this? Oh, I'm really, I'm really anxious, right? I mean, I, I get to preach fairly often to the high schoolers. So like speaking to people, especially those that I know love me, not a big deal, but for whatever reason, man, I was like, am I about to throw up? Like, I'm kind of soft. What is happening right now? What is this? Anxiety will keep you on, on the stresses of life, but... Hope, knowing what is yet to come, it draws our eyes forward to look steadfastly unto his promises. That's where our gaze needs to be. Our perspective needs to be, I know God's got a reason for this, and I know that one day I'm going to be with him, so this is all okay. This is light. This is light affliction, because there's glory. That's what Paul was praying for the church of Ephesus that, they, that we would recognize there's coming a day where we will be brought into the presence of the Lord bodily and we will be with him forever and we will get the privilege of casting crowns at his feet and giving him glory for how he used us in the kingdom of God. Aren't you excited for that, church? Come on, are you awake? I'm so excited to just be with the Lord forever. 
And like, I want, you know, like to have more kids and to see them do sports. And like, that's kind of cool and exciting to me. Like my daughter's Ivy, my second daughter, she's two. And we went outside to play because the girls are, you know, just going crazy inside. So we take them out and Ivy's like kicking a ball. I'm like, whoa, she can like do those things. Whoa, you know. I'm kind of excited for that, but if I, if I have to sacrifice, you know, those moments, uh, sacrifice those moments, and, and we actually just get the rapture instead, dude, way better. It's way better. If you don't know that, know that. It's way better. That's what we want. And yet, we will be in his presence bodily, but we have his presence even now with us. And that brings us to the next important prayer that we see in, in verse 18. Uh, Paul prays, uh, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now look at that. I'm an English teacher, but I don't think it takes an English degree to, to recognize that that is phrased kind of funny. It says, what, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It, like it's missing an is. Right? So as I was studying this, I was like, okay, Lord, like, is my Bible, does my Bible have a typo? And so I'm like, okay, blueletterbible.com. No, it's not a typo. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing here? Like, you're wrecking my English teacher mind. What's happening? And I, and I think uh, it's worded the way it is intentionally. And I think it's because, at least part of it is because it's a concept. This phrase has a concept that is very counterintuitive to us and to the way that we think. It's different. And God had to get our attention before he laid it out, right? We're looking at it and we're like, that's not right. But it is right. And here's what it's saying. It's saying uh, that we would see the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, not our inheritance in him. In other words, Jesus condescended to an earthly position to buy an eternal presence with us as much as he bought an eternal presence of us with him. You see the difference? He wanted to be with us. He did that for him as much as he did that for us. He wanted us. He wants us. The bridegroom has made his investment and commitment to us. He chose to be with us, the church. I don't know about you, having a king come live in my home, my home is not ready for a king. It's not fit for, don't say amen, Maria. My house isn't that bad. No, I'm just kidding. Right? I mean, maybe your house is ready for a king, but mine, my heart, my life, oh, that's not a place for a king to reign. But he says, yes, it is. That's where I want to be. And so important prayer number four, the fourth thing that we're praying for is to have a humbled attitude. Have a humbled attitude. That God does want to be with us. And he paid a great price to have an inheritance in us that we do not deserve. Philippians 2 Verses 5 through 8, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. This is what he paid. This is what he did. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Like he didn't just do that because he knew we needed it. He did it because he, he wanted us and he wanted to be with us. That's incredible. Like, what? You know? He willingly gave himself and humbled himself to the cross, and he did so counting it joy. And it's because he purchased an inheritance in us for himself. And eternity with us is what he came for. That's crazy. That should humble us. And then setting the example for good fatherhood, he wants to be with us, and this should humble us. Right? Fathers, you should want to, just like God does, you should want to be with your children. You should want that. You should desire to be with them, time with them. And so the application, though, is that we would be thankful for God's heart toward us. God has a good heart. Doesn't he? He's such a good father. He's such a good God. He wants to be with us. I don't deserve that. We don't deserve that. He's good. And as we're, um, as we're on the final home stretch, verse 19, we're going to see the, this fifth um, important prayer, but it comes here in this part of verse 19 that says, and he's praying that, that the church would see what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. His exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. We have been empowered by the Holy Ghost, Right? God gave us his spirit, and this spirit has power. And so we have power. We have God's power in us, right, in life. It's kind of coming full circle. We, we've been given a work to do. We've been given a mission, the commission. And, 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 and he gave us his spirit, his presence, and that spirit is what powers us in that mission, right? Okay. So with his power, we have a real purpose, Everything you do now has real purpose. Everything that we do is now unto the glory of God. Right? So the important prayer number five is that we would have an empowered walk with God. That we would have an empowered walk with God. And I would submit to you that, that because His Spirit is in us and because it powers our ministry, that now all of a sudden, every, all of the mundane tasks that you have to fulfill, your job, your parenting, your whatever it is, whatever you see as the thing that you just have to do, that now God's Spirit transcends that. And all of a sudden, it's not just about accomplishing those tasks. It's about you showing God's glory through what you're doing. Right? And so that looks like, man, you're doing everything unto the glory of God. You're doing it because you know that people are, are, are seeing it. You're a witness of who God is and how you conduct business and how you do things shows who your father is, right? Like, you can see, you can see parenting 
in the children. Right? And there's exceptions and there's things that, you know, kids have free will. We have free will. But we represent our Father to the people who see us do whatever it is that we're doing. Right? So no longer am I tied to my desk at work, punching in numbers, filling out lesson plans, droning on and on about incomplete sentences. No longer is that just something I have to show up and do, and then I clock out, and then I do ministry. That's not the case. I'm promoted instead. I'm promoted by His Spirit to to the role of I'm an ambassador of Christ now where I'm working in my home. You are now promoted to ambassador of Christ. You've got a more distinguished role. You've got a a more distinguished work. You have a new purpose in all the work that you do. So now, now our work is for God's glory. And God makes us able to do that. Right? 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4 through 6. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. We have this trust through Christ to Godward that we are, we are not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. We got nothing to offer God. Right? We've got nothing to offer anybody. But our sufficiency is of God who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. We've been made able ministers to haul the water with Christ. We have this work to invest the Word of God into the souls of men, right? And that happens in all of the work that you do because you're not only witnessing who God is in all of the mundane things that you do, but then beyond that, God will open doors. And wherever you're planted in the world, God can give you open doors to literally tell people the word of truth, to offer them everlasting life through the Father, through the Son, right? That's what we're called to now. And he makes us able to do that. We get to be used by, by God for his glory. That's pretty cool. You can put me on a pip, it's probably not a good testimony. I should probably do better. But even if you put me on a pip, I can show Christ's humility. Because God's humbling me, right? And my parenting. Parenting is hard. It's the hardest job in the world. Like, stay-at-home moms are crazy, man. <laughs> you guys are incredible. Endurance, you have to have, but, but you, your job is not to just mother children. You're investing life into them, right? And we all have that about whatever we're doing. God has made us able ministers. And so discerning your role in the work, having God's perspective and an eternal perspective, having a humbled attitude and seeing God's power in and through your life, The conclusion, as the praise team would come forward to to get us all set up here, the conclusion is this. Here's here's the resolution of the whole prayer. This is all going to happen. All these things come from prayer and growth through time pursuing Christ. We open our Bible. We pray. We meet with God. We do discipleship. D2, LFBI, whatever it is. We haul the water. We serve here at church. 
We minister at our workplaces. We do all of these things, and all the while, we're pursuing Christ, and he grows these things in us. Does that make sense? And so here's the invitation. Maybe some of you have been considering, should I go down there? He was talking about salvation earlier. He was talking about knowing your role in the work. Here's the invitation. For some of you, you may want to come forward and pray and consider salvation. You may want to come forward. And we're going to keep the, the, the heads up and the eyes open because there's only love in here, right? I know that you only love me. No one's throwing tomatoes or like mumbling, wish Sam was here. I mean, I do too, but I know there's only love there. So there's only love up here. And the people who will come forward to, to get set up to, to pray with you and counsel with you, we only have love for you. So if you know that you need to come pray through and consider salvation, I want you to come now. I want you to come forward. Come up here. There's only love. But then maybe others of you, you may want to come forward and pray and consider discipleship. We've got the right guys up here. If you want to consider discipleship, maybe you would say, I know that I'm saved, but I don't know my role in the work. I don't know, I don't know scripture for myself yet. If you want to come pray, consider discipleship or mentorship students, you come now. Come down. And maybe others of you, you would say there's something else. Something else that the Lord is, is tugging on my heart. There's something else that I know God is leading me to. And I need to just pray with somebody. I want you to come down. Let's pray. Let's meet with the Lord together. Let's counsel. Let's meet with him. Let's have him reveal himself and his, his word to us down front. Amen. You can stand. We're going to worship.